as they're doing that, I invite you to grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is where we're going to uh, be landing here uh, this morning in just a few moments. Uh, over the past several weeks and months, we've been taking a look at the various um, aspects of the life as a believer, uh, how we've been called to engage in the spiritual disciplines of life, uh, you know, reading the Bible and worship and prayer, fasting, meditation, solitude, serving, giving, simplicity, those types of things. We examined uh, our relationships with our spouse, with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers. Uh, leading up to Easter, we focused on the journey to the cross and how it's an invitation for us to live our lives in light of the resurrection. We explored how to live a life that's greater than, uh, how God has called us to live a life that's greater than, uh, a life of humility that is greater than honor, faithfulness over success, realizing that in our weakness, Christ is made strong and how we are to be dependent upon him and not seek our own or to seek to be served, but instead we have been called to serve. Um, over the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at uh, examples. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the great example Christ set for us when he demonstrated for us how to interact with people, how to interact with the people in our daily lives, believers and non-believers alike. Uh, last week, we looked at our favorite Bible verse. Actually, we looked at my favorite Bible verse, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and we were challenged to, to trust in God, to lean not on our own understanding, to acknowledge Him in all that we do and allow Him to direct our paths as we are walking with Him, the one He has set before us. And today, I want to kind of continue that train of thought as we continue to build uh, on this, this theme for the year uh, by looking at a, a single verse of Scripture from James chapter 4, and then we'll go back and put it in a little greater context uh, and try to understand it before we unpack it this morning. So I begin by reading James chapter 4, verse 14. And it says this, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. This is a pep talk, right? That's really encouraging news to hear, that you are a mist that appears for a little while and then va vanishes, right? Other versions of the text say you are a vapor, a mist, a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, why is James saying that? Well, if we take a step back and we look at, uh, at this book just a, you know, from a little bit farther back, we find that James is the author of this letter. James is the brother of Jesus, and he's writing uh, this to the church. Uh, he's a leader in the church, and he's writing this to the 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. And in this letter, he speaks directly and very practically to the challenges that these believers are facing in their everyday lives. In this letter, he addresses many practical issues that they were struggling with, and I think they're issues that we still struggle with. Uh, uh, still today. They're, they're still very relevant to us. Issues like facing tough times and being tempted in ways that would cause us to disregard his truth, the truth we find in his word. How temptations are really a result of our own evil desires, and when those own evil desires uh, lead us to sin, and then if they're left unchanged, ultimately to death. James talks about acting on the truth we receive, and the key verse to the whole book of, the, of James is in James chapter 1, verse 22, where he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James is calling us to action because of our faith. Uh, we also see in, in this text that, that James is trying to teach us how we are to watch what we say and how we treat people. He, he challenges his audience to gain wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God as we submit our lives wholly and completely to God. That's what James is trying to do for his audience, to get them to understand God's wisdom 
in their life so that their lives can be different. Got it? Now hold that thought for just a second. Let me shift gears and ask you a question. How many of you in here today are fans of Dr. Seuss? Okay, there you go. Some, a couple of you are going, yeah, maybe. Um, anybody familiar with uh, the book, The Places You'll Go? Right? Now, my favorite one is Green Eggs and Ham, but it didn't fit for what I want to say, so I had to go to this one, right? Another one of my favorites is Hop on Pop, but that's completely different. We can have that discussion later. But part of this book reads like this. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own, and you know what you know, and you are the guy who'll decide where to go. Now, why is this written? Well, it's a fun little book, right? You read it to your kids. It's to encourage them that, hey, you can learn things. You can make decisions. You can grow up. You, you can do these things. Uh, granted, uh, as they grow, they're going to need input and guidance from people who love them, but, but they can figure a lot of this out on their own. We're trying to encourage them to do that. And isn't that what we've been conditioned to think, Right? If we learn enough and know enough and grow enough and are mature enough and whatever enough, then we will be able to make our own wise decisions. We'll be able to decide what is best. We'll be able to decide where to go. But I wonder if that's always the best course of action. Got it? Let's put them together for just a minute. Look at what James writes in James chapter 4 beginning in verse 13. He says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. The people James writing this letter to. They have brains in their head, right? They came up with a plan. They had feet in their shoes. They could travel to different cities. They had the direction they had chosen. They made the decision. They knew what they wanted to do. They decided what to do, and they set out to do it. And if you look objectively at it, they had a pretty good plan. They knew when they were going to get started, today or tomorrow. They knew where they were going to set up shop, in this city or that city. They knew how long they would be gone, a year, They knew what they were going to do. They were going to conduct business, and they knew what they wanted to do. They knew what their objective was. They were going to make money. And they seemed to have everything figured out, right? That seems like a pretty good plan. And they did. They had almost everything figured out. You see, throughout the book of James, he's challenging his audience to, to gain that wisdom that we talked about, a wisdom that comes from God by submitting humbly to him. And what I found interesting as I was, I was looking at this text is that God, or James at least, considers these people to be prideful and, and boasting. And yet, to me, I didn't really see what they were doing was a result of their pride. When I think of a, a, a prideful person or someone who's boasting all the time, what I visualize, or at least what I hear is, in my head, is someone who always likes the spotlight. Someone who's always saying, hey, 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 look at me. I am good. I'm so good, I even surprise myself sometimes right? If I were any better, there would be two of me. In fact, if there were two of me, things would be a lot better around here. And it's really lucky for you, I am here. And maybe they don't say things like that, but that's kind of the way they live. And and we all have that person in our life, don't we? And if you don't have that person in your life, as we say sometimes around here, that might be you. So something to think about, right? Uh, what, What do we do... 
we have, we have these things, and sometimes it's, it's hard to see the pride in our own life, isn't it? It's hard, hard to recognize that. Uh, you figure that oftentimes in life, we are indispensable. We, we see ourselves that way. Uh, I read a story about a basketball co- coach who had a really good player on his team, but that player lacked humility and felt like he was so important to the team that he could do whatever he wanted to do. And so the coach was trying to figure out a way to teach him the lesson. And so he handed him a bucket, and he told him to take the bucket and go fill it up with water and bring it back. And so the player got the bucket, took it, filled it up, filled it up with water, and brought it back to the coach. And the coach said, okay, I want you to put your fist in that bucket up to your wrist. And so he did. Now pull it out. And he pulled it out. And he said, do you see the hole that's left because of your fist being in there? Everybody got it. There is no hole, right? That's how much you will be missed if you don't learn humility and to play like part of the team. I thought that was really good. Because when we think of ourselves as indispensable, then we become so full of ourselves that that we really aren't helping anyone. And I think that's kind of what James is speaking to in James chapter 4, verse 6, when he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The hard part is, as I said, Pride in our own lives is sometimes hard to realize. And and I would suggest that to the people to whom James is writing this, they didn't see themselves as being prideful or being boasting. What they saw was themselves being self-sufficient. They they didn't need anyone to tell them how to run their business. They could do it all by themselves. They had the education. They had the training. They had the finances. They had the backing. They had the plan. They had it all ready to go. They didn't really need anything else. More than likely, they were believers, as it says in in the first uh, chapter of James, that he's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. And yet, as they set out to the places they would go, I want to suggest that they made some mistakes along the way. From the text in James chapter 4 that we read, I want to suggest three mistakes that they made because of their pride. And I think that they're good cautionary tales for us as well today to consider as we make our plans to avoid these same mistakes. The first mistake was that they planned without God. They planned without God. Did you notice or realize who or or what wasn't mentioned in this text? God. God wasn't mentioned. If you look there again at verse 13, God's not mentioned. He's not in the text. The businessmen knew what they wanted. They wanted to make a profit. They knew how to get there. They, They had a plan. They knew what they needed to do, but they'd left God out of their planning. They had this attitude of of self-sufficiency. Now, before we get too far down that road, I want to be very clear. This does not negate the need for planning. There's there's nothing wrong with making plans. Being a good steward of our lives necessitates the making of plans. Planning is a wise thing to do. The Bible encourages us to make plans. Jesus advocated planning. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So Jesus is telling us that planning is a good thing. In fact, if you don't plan well, then you'll be considered foolish. If you look at the book of Proverbs, which is considered to be a a book of wisdom, in chapter 21 it says, careful planning puts you ahead in the long run, hurry and scurry puts you farther behind. Right? Haste makes waste. Jesus is telling us that that we need to be planning. The Old Testament talks about that. Uh, The Bible also tells us that 
we need to put God at the center of our plans. Proverbs 16.3, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. And a little later in verse 9, it says, the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So it's important to realize that as James is writing these words, he's not against planning. What he's trying to encourage us to do is to keep God at the center of our plans. But unfortunately, I think too often we make our plans, we make our life plans without considering what God wants us to do. We get caught up in our own uh, wants, our own desires, our, our own fears, and, and, and we forget to consider what God's will is for us in the matter. I have seen this happen uh, throughout my life where different people that I know and I respect have chosen a career over the calling. They've chosen a career path because it's what they felt like they needed to do or should do, and they neglected the calling that that God had laid on their heart. And what they found in their career was success, and they did really well, but they were empty because they'd ignored the calling. And it's so hard once you're going down that career to go back to the calling. You can do it, but there's a lot of giving up. But the calling, that's putting God at the center of your life, of your plans. Are we willing to to listen to his calling in our life and allow it to affect everything else? Or will we take the path and then invite God along the way? You see, James gives us insight into how we are to live our life and how we're to make those decisions. In verse 15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. God needs to be the center of our planning. One of the main reasons for that is we don't know what the future holds, do we? Uh, We just don't. But God does. That doesn't prevent us from trying to figure it out, though, right? We spend a lot of time trying to figure out the future. We try to figure out the weather. I mean, it was supposed to rain all day yesterday. Pennington Day was supposed to get washed out. And what time did it start raining? Four o'clock, right, when it was over, right? It was a beautiful thing. So we try to predict the weather, which is right there. We we can't do that. We, We try to predict the stock markets, right? We invest here, we sell, but, you know, we don't have a clue what's going on, do we? Interest rates. We try to figure out what the Fed's going to do, to figure out borrow, lend, what, what should we do? How, how do? how do we do that? We try to figure out simple things, like the success of our sports teams. I mean, everyone thought the Phillies were going to be terrible, and they're over 500, which some of you are really happy about. Yeah, Robin's happy, at least. Everyone predicts that, that Carson Wentz is going to be the future of the Philadelphia Eagles and lead them to the promise to the Super Bowl, right? We don't know. We try to predict what's going to happen. We, we don't know what's going to happen today. We don't know what's going to happen tonight. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We, we just don't know. And that's why it's so important that we put God at the center of our plans. So what do we do when we make plans? Well, I've seen people do a number of things. They ignore God. They just kind of do their thing. They know what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, how they're going to do it, and they just proceed full steam ahead, and and they just go for it. Other times we mention God, right, when we need him, (laughs) when that plan that we're going and it doesn't go very well, and what do we do? Okay, God, (laughs) remember me, time, need you. When we get desperate or we can acknowledge him and all that we do and all that we say and in each decision we make, as we talked about last week, I can, we can acknowledge God in all of our ways. I, I know that's something that I, I strive to do, and I, and I pray that you do as well. Not always successful in that, but we're seeking to do that. I, I like 
what Proverbs 16.1 says from the message version when it says, mortals make elaborate plans, but God has the last word. We need to make our plans with God at the center of those plans. That's the first mistake is planning without God. The second mistake, they took tomorrow for granted. Look again at what James says in verse 14. It says, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. He asked a very important question there in verse 14. What is your life? And if I were to ask you that very same question, what would your answer be? What is your life? Is it what you have? Is it what you do? Is it where you live? Is it your family? Is it your popularity? Is, what is your life? And then James answers his own question when he says, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I, I think it's interesting that the, the word there used for mist also vapor is also atmos, which is from the word we get atmosphere. It means kind of like a fog, right? How are you going to live? How, how, how long are you going to live? How many days will you have on this earth? I, I've used this illustration before, but I think it's the best one that I can come up with. Your life is this long. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, I'm not sure how good your eyesight is in the back row. Can you even see that? The closer you are, the more of an impact it'll make. The farther away you are, the less you even know that that even happened. And that not that our life? The people around us, we may get them a little wet. The people who don't know us, they're not even going to know. I mean, we, we think of ourselves as so important, but that's it. We are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so... What do we do? Our lives are short. And I know we don't like to think about that, but Psalm 90 verse 10 says, the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet the span is trouble and sorrow. Gee, thanks. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Teach us to number our days, all right, and that we may gain a heart of wisdom. David understood that our days are are 70 years, sometimes 80, but they're going to go quickly. The the reality is we're not guaranteed that we're going to receive our 70 tomorrows, right? Life expectancy now for a person in the United States is longer than it's it's ever been in in our history, but, but we don't know what moment's going to be our last, right? And some of you here today, that is an all too much of a reality for you. You have experienced the brevity of life. It ended way too soon, way too tragically, way too many questions, and it doesn't make sense. And we wonder, what's the point? And you've experienced that, and it's not easy. Other people, you may be here thinking, oh, it's going to happen to everybody else but not me. I've got a long time, right? I'm not going to think about that right now. I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to execute my plan, and I'm going to move forward. I, I know for me, I feel like I'm on both sides of the fence. Maybe it's my age. Maybe it's because I hurt all over most of the time. Maybe, I don't know why. But I, I, there, there are times that I feel invincible, times when I feel like there's nothing I cannot do, and then there's other times that I wonder, what is going on? What, what's the purpose? Am I living my life with purpose? The reality is that, that life is so uncertain. All of us know that our life is just a mist if, if we think about it. 
an accident, a disease, the intentional actions of someone else, a natural disaster, life ends, and we are reminded of how short and how precious life is. And, and I don't want to be morbid. I don't want to be like, oh, you know, downer, but it's just a reality. We don't need to be depressed about it, but we need to make sure we don't take tomorrow for granted. We need to understand that, that we're not promised that. We need to value each day. We need to live in light of the resurrection. We need to live in light of God's plan for our life. Life is short. We, we shouldn't take it for granted. The third mistake that I want to suggest they made was they neglected to do good. Neglected to do good. Verse 17 says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Douglas Moo, in his commentary on this text, says, James has urged us to take the Lord into consideration in all of our planning. We therefore have no excuse in this matter. We know what we are to do. To fail now to do it, James wants to make clear, is sin. And I don't like that very much. You? But this applies to every area of our life. I like to put it in terms that I can understand. I think James is talking about procrastination, right? He's talking about putting off until tomorrow what we should be doing today. Uh, There's a poem that goes like this. Procrastination is my sin. It always causes me sorrow. I know I ought to change my way. In fact, I think I will tomorrow, right? When I was a child, I was taught this song, and I won't sing it for you, but the lyrics are like this. Don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Don't you know that time you borrow never can be repaid, right? The procrastinator's motto is, why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? And as Wimpy always says, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. We, we like to put things off, don't we? But we don't like to think that when we put something off that that is a sin. A sin is when you do something you're not supposed to do, right? We, we sin when we lie or cheat or steal or do something that's in violation of God's command. But we also sin when we don't do what God has called us to do. For instance, we've been called to love our neighbor as ourselves. So when we don't, when we ignore our neighbor or when we just fail to think of them and we live selfishly, that's also a sin. It's a sobering thought to realize in Matthew chapter 25 in the final judgment scene that's presented there that Jesus condemns those who didn't help the poor and the needy. It wasn't what they did, it's what they failed to do. Verse 17, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 and 28 in the message version addresses this and how when we should act. It says, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Now think about that for a second. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Don't tell your neighbor, maybe some other time, or try me tomorrow when the money's right there in your pocket. Often, often I think our willingness to act Our willingness to serve others, it starts with an attitude. It's first a mindset and secondly an activity. If we have a serving mindset, then we're going to be looking for opportunities to act and then be willing to act. We're going to not be just consumers. We're going to be contributors to the work and to the kingdom and and to things that are going on around us. To number our days, to have a heart that is a heart of wisdom from the Lord, that is the life we've been called to. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. It's always the right time to invest in the kingdom. 
And it's a great thing to know that God is willing and ready to invest in us. Listen to what Jesus said in Revelation 3. He said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. If you remember, we've talked about before, sharing a meal with someone was a sign of of unity, a a sign of love, a, a sign of compassion, and Jesus is willing to do that with us. He's willing to invest in us as we respond to him. For some of you here today, today maybe is the day that you need to make that change in your life. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. Because God is not only concerned about your future, he is concerned about your present. So don't make the mistake of making your plans without God or taking tomorrow for granted or neglecting to do good when you have the opportunity to do so. God wants to be with you. He wants to help you. He wants to walk with you. And through his Holy Spirit, God wants to help you do good to those around you. He wants to walk in relationship with you, a relationship that will start here on earth and will blend into all eternity. To trust in him, to believe in him, to put your trust in him, to, to not put off until tomorrow what you could do today and what you could do right now to invite Jesus into your life and to receive him as your Lord, to receive him as your Savior. We have the opportunity to extend to you his invitation to receive him, to accept him as your Lord and Savior, to, to be obedient in baptism, to surrender your life to him, to begin walking with him, to, to have other people hold you accountable. And we would love for you to take that step and, and to make that decision here today. And so the band's going to lead us in this time of response. And it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to, to just reflect on what God is doing, what, how God is talking to us. It's also an opportunity for us to, to make public a decision or to make public what God is doing in our life. And so if you want to talk to someone about what's going on in your life, we invite you to make your way to the front or the back of the auditorium where members of the, the prayer team and the leadership team would be more than happy to meet with you and to pray with you and to encourage you and to help you as we walk down this path together of serving the Lord, of, of worshiping Him, and of loving Him as we trust in Him with each step of our life. Stand with me. Let's sing this song of response together. You make your way to the front of the back. We'd love to meet you there.